0: Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com.
1: Welcome to Hollywood and LeBine. I am Ken LeBine, your podcast host. Thanks so much for being here. So what is it like to be a reality star? And more importantly, what is it like when you are no longer a reality star? Well, my guest this week is Susie Meister, and she was a reality star. She starred on a couple of MTV programs, Road Rules, and also The Challenge. And after she left The Glowing Light of Television... She got a Ph.D. in religious studies. She also has a podcast, and so we're going to talk a lot about what it is like to be a reality star, and then what happens. The reentry is very difficult. It's a fascinating story. You are going to enjoy meeting Susie Meister this week on Hollywood and Levine. Okay, so you spent seven years on MTV reality shows, and uh, how does one get into that? Especially when you started, reality shows were not really a thing, and you were only 18. How did you find yourself on a reality show, Susie?
0: I know. Can you imagine how much therapy I need? <laughs> I, uh, um, I was just a big fan of the shows, but at that time, like you said, there was only really the real world and road rules on MTV. There wasn't even Survivor. And A time um, so, without
1: Survivor. It's like, I, can
0: I, you even remember? It's
1: hard to remember.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was an innocent time, and I just loved the shows, and I thought, what the heck? I, I could get out of Pittsburgh and have some free travel And so I sent in a VHS tape of myself in my mom's wood paneled basement talking about my life and how I had just finished high school and all my friends had left and I wanted to have an adventure. And they um, auditioned about 36,000 people and they chose six of us. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) i know and now i realized it was probably an insult to be cast because i see the other folks that they choose but i was super excited
1: (laughs) and you wonder (laughs) like taylor swift wasn't picked and you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) right just me and my other five roadies went on the road to australia
1: explain what road rules was which by the way road rules not an easy show to pronounce (laughs)
0: Right. And it was sort of the, you know, stepchild of the real world, which is in a house and ours was in a Winnebago. So we were sent to Australia and we rode around in this RV and we were required to do challenges where you, you know, try something new each day in order to get money to eat. And um, so that's what I did. And they were, they filmed for about three months. So you're in this little RV with a bunch of people and a film crew And you just have a grand old time in theory.
1: So was it different from what you imagined it would be like?
0: Uh, At that time, it was what I thought it would be because at that time it was still the documentary style where they didn't do much to adjust the plot or change behavior. And we could just really be ourselves and kind of grow up on the air. Um, And that was more authentic. But then over the seasons that I did, things really started to change.
1: Yeah, which we're going to get into how reality shows, not necessarily reality. So you get this show. What were your expectations? Did you think, oh, my God, this is going to launch my career? What did you want to be at 18 at that point in your life?
0: Right. I hadn't even begun college or anything. And I just really thought this was going to be an adventure. I grew up in a really a sheltered, kind of conservative Christian home. And so I was like, this will help me ex- you know, expand my horizons and be on TV. And I was attention seeking as people often are that go on reality shows. Um, but for me, it really was about the adventure and experiencing new things and meeting different kinds of people. And it lived up to that. It really did at that time.
1: So you guys actually lived in the Winnebago the whole time? (laughs) Most (laughs) of
0: the time. We did stay at some youth hostels as well. Oh, so. For the most part. Yeah,
1: so you were slumming it then. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. And they paid
0: me like $200 a week. I mean, nobody was getting rich off this at the time.
1: Were you aware of the cameras or after a while did they just sort of blend in?
0: At the very start, you are aware because you're being put this microphone on you and there's a camera guy and a director and all these people and you feel self-conscious. But then you really do get used to it. And even though, of course, you don't forget that they're in the room, you really do forget how many people are going to see you You know, likely make a fool of yourself and (laughs) say silly things. And so your behavior really does get natural over time.
1: So you were doing challenges – against the other people in your cozy Winnebago, uh, did that lead to friction between you guys? Or, I mean, you know, you put any six, seven people in a Winnebago for three months and four of them are going to kill each other after (laughs) the second month, right? Right.
0: Right. I mean, you can see how the stories kind of write themselves because what do people do when they're stuck in a small space? They probably are going to fight or perhaps, you know, find some romance or make a best friend. And those are all really good narrative, you know, plot lines. Um, But in the early, the first season, we were working as a team. So we all were um, we weren't competing against one another. We were trying to win together to get the money. You're going against
1: kangaroos. Who are you? Were there other (laughs) Winnebago's out there? Who are you competing against?
0: Well, we just had to complete the goal. So, you know, if it's skydiving, Ah, everybody has to skydive. And if one person doesn't, then you don't get your money.
1: I see. Okay, (laughs) Okay. Skydiving (laughs) would leave me out. (laughs) That that would be it. 36,000 people and I'd be out in one day.
0: That's the other thing is that like the things that they were asking you to do are, you know, intense and scary to begin with. So for me, when they started changing the way they produced it and adding different things that make for fighting, I thought, why did you even bother? It was already terrifying. (laughs)
1: You mentioned that the producers started meddling uh, a little bit. Uh, I guess the idea was they didn't want you guys to be boring or they just didn't want to waste a lot of film.
0: I think it was the boring thing. Because at one point on my first show, they came to each of us individually and said, you aren't making the most of this, which I now realize was code for you guys are kind of boring and not fighting and hooking up enough. Um, but they, I think once Survivor came out, which was, I think 2000, they started feeling the heat like, oh no, that we have to up the ante. This has to be scandalous or more interesting in order to attract the same audience. So that's when they, they would meddle in the way that they would keep removing distractions and adding alcohol. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Just in that way, you know. (laughs) So in other words, you
1: couldn't read books or do crossword puzzles, things like that. Uh, There was nothing other than alcohol to do, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. The boredom is really the thing because... If you imagine, I mean, I think people realize you can't have a TV or a radio because it would mess up the editing of a show like that. But Uh I think they don't realize you can't even bring, you know, like you said, books or a card game or, um, you know, anything to read at all. And there really is nothing to do except hook up and fight and drink alcohol, which, you know, lubricates the other two things.
1: Yeah, they do the Big Brother uh, Mm -hmm. show on the Radford lot here yeah. in Los Angeles, and yeah. uh, and they do a lot of other TV shows there. And the, and the house and the fence around the house is set right in the middle of the lot. And when I would be directing shows on the lot, I would walk by it. And it would be the afternoon, and I could hear them in the backyard by their little pool area. No. And I know that they were not allowed to have any TV or radio. And and I would go, holy shit! We were just attacked by Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that.
0: That is cruel, Ken. I
1: know, I know. What what can I say? Um, I would
0: always do that to the crew, though. I'd say, "What's going on in the world?" Because uh, you would have no frame of reference of what is. That? You're like in Narnia.
1: You know, over the last four years, I wish I were in that bubble. <laughs>
0: True. (laughs) I quit too early.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So in promoting drama, I know producers always like to have uh, like a villain. I mean, Richard Hatch was certainly the first villain. And uh, I remember uh, a number of years ago, my partner David Isaacs and I pitched to CBS a reality show where we would show you what happens behind the scenes as we make a television sitcom pilot. And okay. we're pitching this idea and the CBS executive says, "Well, who's the villain?" Oh my god. And we said, "What?" And he said, "Well, all of these shows have to have a villain." Mm. So, who would be the villain in this show? And I thought for a second, and I said, you.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. The network, of course. <laughs>
1: yes, CBS. So I don't
0: know why they didn't go for it, Ken. I
1: know. It was a great idea. It really <laughs> was a great idea. No, here's why they wouldn't go for it. Because at various points, we wanted the audience to choose, like, casting and stories oh, wow. and things like that, which we thought would be great because the audience would really be invested in the series. And CBS did not want to give up that kind of control to America.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
1: And now looking back, they were probably wise. You don't want to give (laughs) America control of anything. Uh,
0: Hey, I'd watch it, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. It It was so weird for me to be at CBS Television City... Pitching a primetime CBS show where I would be one of the stars (laughs) and security wouldn't just come and throw me out. That they actually (laughs) (laughs) listened and considered it and took it seriously.
0: When you were in that position, though, were you feeling ambivalent about the reality sort of movement coming in?
1: No, actually, I I was one of the early people that loved Survivor. Oh, so wow. I I kind of was into it. After a while, and there became more and more shows at the expense of scripted shows. Yeah. Then uh, I thought it was evil. But originally, and <laughs> when I pitched it, when I thought I could profit off of it, and when <laughs> I thought I could star in a CBS television series, then yeah, I was kind of okay <laughs> you were with
0: into it. it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great.
1: So, the guys who are villains, I guess it's a double edged sword because, on the one hand, you get more notoriety, and mm-hmm. on the other, it must be tougher in real life because it's hard for people to separate the character from the person. And I guess when they entered the quote unquote real world, some of them had trouble like adjusting or finding jobs you know, they would go up for a job and I guess they'd go, oh, no, this guy's an asshole. We're not going to hire him, totally. <laughs> right?
0: And so that's what makes when you are the villain, you're really incentivized to continue being terrible because you know you're not going to likely get a job in the real, well, no pun intended, the real world. Mm-hmm. But so you kind of want the job security of being asked back on these same shows. So you want to behave that way in order to keep coming back
1: right, which you get more money, I guess, and more fame. What was it like at first to be noticed, to be famous?
0: It was so odd because there wasn't social media at that time. And like I said, there wasn't other competing reality shows. So it felt like you were a legitimate, famous person, but you were sent back to your normal life. And I just went back to waiting tables and working at record stores for no money and yet every customer that came through knew who I was. And I was waiting on a table once and this lady and I'm keep in mind, eighteen. And she goes, Well, I see you didn't make much of yourself after the show. <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> they didn't invite me Ow. to the Oscars. I don't know. Ow.
1: I, know I worked in hurt. record stores too.
0: See? Yeah. I mean, you gotta make a living. I don't know. I don't know what people thought you would happen, but You just went back to your normal life at that time. Now it's a different story where you become like an influencer and sort of parlay it into this weird social media job.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so now you move on to the challenge. Yeah. Describe what that show was like.
0: So that show is them sort of recycling the people from the real world and road rules, and now they've introduced other shows as well. But the nature of it is kind of survivor-esque where you are competing for money and now it's substantial money and um that's where the really bad behavior be- you know came out because there was more at stake and also we were experienced in being on television so we knew what would get you more airtime and what would get you asked back so that's when it kind of got crazy
1: what were some of the challenges giving you an idea
0: So um, they kind of adopted instead of like, we're going to wrestle crocodiles or do something that was more locally based. It became, you know, jump off of this crane or, (laughs) you know, (laughs) try. I remember one time we did like trapeze with Cirque du Soleil. Um, I've done, uh, you know, walking a tightrope above, you know, 200 feet in the air, just crazy stuff where you would never, ever get the chance to do that in real life. And so if you're an adrenaline junkie or someone who loves competition, you would really enjoy it. But for most normal people, it would be terrible.
1: Yeah. And you're on alcohol too. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) right. Hopefully not at the same time, but
1: yes, (laughs) it it sounds pretty dangerous. Uh, do you ever hurt yourself?
0: I never did, but I'm kind of waiting for that to happen in a way because it feels like they keep upping the ante. Um, They do have a lot of stunt people that test the things. And sometimes they would say, oh, so-and-so broke their leg testing this, but you're going to do it anyway. Um, And so I don't know what they nix if they allow you to do stuff where people did get hurt, but I think they kind of push it up to the edge where, you know, you're safe, but it's scary. And then hopefully nobody gets hurt.
1: Were there injuries?
0: Oh, yeah. People have been, uh, you know, gone. To, they always have an ambulance scene. You know, the promos, there's always like the sirens and the ambulance coming. Uh-huh. People have, you know, exhaustion or, um, you know, one girl got bit by a spider. Because we're in these exotic locations. And sometimes that stuff can happen where people get sick or hurt from that Um one guy had to get his spleen removed because he hit the water too hard. It's Ooh. crazy. It's Ooh. crazy.
1: Yeah. There were no ambulances <laughs> beside the sound stage where they did American Idol.
0: <laughs> See, I was on the wrong reality show.
1: <laughs> Can you sing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd learn. I'd learn. It's not too late for me.
1: <laughs> if they tell you to <laughs> sing on the challenge, you sing. Right. (laughs)
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: Right. And
0: they really did, you know, try to tap into what your fears might be, whether it's heights or water or, you know, wild animals or whatever. They would try to get something that would scare the bejesus out of you.
1: Yeah. Uh, A friend of mine had a job as like one of those testers on fear factor. No. Yes, where his job was to oh, eat as much larvae as possible Stop. and uh what, whatever he would do <laughs> then like they would use like maybe, you know, require half of that for the contestants. But but this was his job and he was also a PA working for writers on a certain sitcom oh, and he quit the pa job that was intolerable now Stop how it. bad can a, <laughs> can a pa job be if you'd prefer to eat larvae <laughs> oh my
0: goodness that tells you something <laughs> and for i can't how did this person do you think what were his qualifications to be eating this stuff what do you think he had to do to train for that <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy.
1: I don't think there were 36,000 people who applied for that job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he had a better shot. Yeah,
1: probably, it's like, you want to do it, you got it. Yeah, but wow, <laughs> what a, a weird job.
0: Well, that's another thing is when they would do these sort of strange challenges like that, where we'd have to eat something disgusting, uh-huh. if you don't do it well or you're, you know, feel sick or you don't want to eat it, people make you feel like you're crazy like, what is wrong with you? You know, And I'm thinking this is opposite world where you're actually peer pressured into doing really disgusting stuff that most people would never do. It's so strange.
1: Yeah. So I guess there was nobody who kept kosher
0: <laughs> no. in one of
1: these shows, right?
0: I know. And even like vegans and vegetarians, it was just too bad. So sad. You either did it or you lost.
1: We'll be back with Susie in a moment, but first a word about DoorDash. Now, when I was a kid growing up, if we wanted food home delivered, (laughs) it was really only one option. It's a place called Chicken Delight. Don't cook tonight, called Chicken Delight. And we would use them all the time because they were the only ones who home delivered, but they were awful. The chicken was just terrible. And I compare that with today in DoorDash and the fact that now you can have your favorite restaurant home deliver right to you thanks to DoorDash. There are over- 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities. Door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada. Ordering is so easy. You just open the DoorDash app. We had no apps back then. You choose what you want to eat, where you want to eat, and bam, your food will be delivered right to you. So I have an introductory offer for you right now, You can get $5 off your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code HOLLYWOOD. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app and you enter the promo code HOLLYWOOD. You can download it from the App Store. Don't forget, one more time, promo code HOLLYWOOD for $5 off your first order From DoorDash, don't cook tonight and don't call chicken delight. Now, you mentioned uh, embarrassing things that the producers would love to see you guys do so that they could show that. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Susie. What are some of the embarrassing things that that you did that made it to the MTV screen?
0: (laughs) Well, in a way, I kind of feel like I dodged a bullet because when I was originally cast, my character was, in my real life, was that I was a virginal Christian girl next door, which I think was helpful to me over the years because they kind of gave me a really good edit, um, to match that persona. But imagine, cause this would made up most of my twenties. Imagine being in your twenties and having it documented and the worst and most extreme moments being broadcast. So a lot of the things that I'm embarrassed about now are just how, you know, I was, I, I've changed politically, for example, and, um, within regards to religion, and some of the things I said I would never say now. So I wasn't one of the people that's hooking up and getting drunk and stuff like that, but some of the things I said I cringe at and just think, I'm not like that anymore, I've changed.
1: Yeah, that's true when you think about it because all of us, when we're 18, 19, 20, say and do stupid things that we regret, but... It's not broadcast. Yes. Yeah.
0: And Uh, now I think it's so much worse because the audience can react in real time for the cast members and write comments on all their social. I didn't have that either, so I feel really lucky that I avoided that nonsense.
1: Oh, God, yeah. I mean, (laughs) I, I know when I would broadcast Mariner games over the last few years well now there are all of these blogs and websites and things like that and yeah like in real time people are just trashing me (laughs) you know (laughs) they're (laughs) going that was stupid why did he say that this guy's an idiot
0: did it affect you and then change the way you did it or did you just let it go
1: that's a real good question i just let it go
0: Oh, I, so well. I I
1: just let it go because I figured, what the, yeah.
0: what the hell?
1: Because it could, it could just bury you. It could just yes. crush you. Yeah. Well,
0: even in those early days, I mean, there wasn't social media, but there was internet. And so I saw some things that people said. And for women, it's largely about the way you look. Mm-hmm. And that is painful. And I noticed that a lot of the folks that do the show – end up, you know, changing their bodies and their face and their style. And I just think, you know, we're all chasing the wind if we think we're going to make people happy. But I can see how that happens because you get all this feedback that you didn't ask for about how you look. So that's hard.
1: Yeah, it's got to be an invitation to eating disorders, I guess.
0: Totally, totally, yeah.
1: So let's talk a little bit about the downside of being a reality star. Yes, it's not all... Glamour where you're eating <laughs> <laughs> dead bugs and <laughs> and tightroping. Uh, I guess for some, you had mentioned that they almost develop like PTSD yeah. reentering the world.
0: Yes. I, I um, talked to a lot of cast members because of the podcast that I have and just the work that I've done. And I found this theme of people saying after they got back... That they really struggled with re entry and whether or not to continue doing the show or just carry on with their life. And that there was a trauma of, you know, having your whole life exposed and then getting that feedback that we were talking about and feeling like you're not enough. And even just the nature of being followed all the time, just coming home, I would always feel like I still had a microphone on. Yeah, you because know, when you even when you go to the bathroom, you know you have to say I'm going to the bathroom, so they turn down your mic and can't hear. It's just strange to experience, and so when you try to get back into the real life, it doesn't always go well. So people, you know, struggle with it sometimes and have, tr- like you said, trouble getting work, um, and then they can end up in real trouble because you can't go back to the production company and say Hey, can you help me? Because they're not gonna.
1: Yeah, what kind of resources were available?
0: They didn't have, they haven't really done much. Now they say, you know, we um, test people before they're on the show where they kind of give you a personality test to make sure you're not troubled. But really that's kind of just to cover their own butts. And, you know, to make, they almost want to make sure you're kind of on the edge, but you're not totally insane. (laughs) (laughs) Basically when when you go, so... And I think a lot of people think, well, what are you crying about? You know, you you get free travel and you get to have fame for a minute and you you know what you're getting. You've seen all these shows, but I think it's hard to know really what it's like until you do it.
1: Okay. Um, So taking the pluses and the minuses, if you had to do it all over again, knowing then what you know now, would you apply? Would you do it again?
0: I probably would because in the end for me, as you know, I ended up marrying my sound guy on one of the challenges. Um, My husband was the guy that put my microphone on me. So I feel like I made out like a bandit. I paid for my school with the money. I got a good edit. I got a nice husband. I mean, that's pretty awesome. But I think for a lot of people, they, they would maybe not maybe not go down that road
1: i'm thinking of a great meet cute you know as a tv writer i'm like always looking for ways you know for couples to meet for the first time and yours could be please turn my microphone off i'm going to the bathroom
0: (laughs) ken listen okay here's the scoop when when we're on the show We as the cast, we can kind of talk to anybody and do whatever we want because in theory it's supposed to be a documentary. But the crew is specifically forbidden from talking to the cast. So for three months, my husband ignored me and obviously that is super attractive. (laughs) So he became this idea in my mind of like this magical human. And it worked out, thankfully. But, I mean, you can see that forbidden fruit. I mean, it worked out.
1: Yeah, I guess. Okay. <laughs> this I don't want to do. This, I, you know, because an audience sitting through three months of of being ignored, I, I don't know if that would necessarily <laughs> be the best drama. I
0: bothered every day. I was like, when are we going to go out? When are you going to take me out? He ignored me until the rap party.
1: Ah, that's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... What did you do after the reality show? Whereas other people kind of went and crashed against the rocks, you wound up getting a Ph.D. in religious studies from Pittsburgh University. Wow.
0: (laughs) I know. There's not too many of the Ph.D. slash reality people in the world, but it worked out great for me because I was able to continue doing the shows and uh, make money and win money. And then pay for school, and I just kept going until I was done. And um, you know, it, I feel really lucky because I have a bit of more balance than some of the other people that are on the shows now. Um, and then now I have a podcast called Brain Candy, and my co-host was on the Real World; she was on Real World Brooklyn. And so, Sarah what's Rice, cool, yes, yeah, Sarah. Mm-hmm. And what's cool is our audience truly feels like they grew up with us, and they feel like they're our friends and so that makes a great way that you can connect with people and if you can use it to do something positive then it works out great and it has for me but like you said it's not like that for everybody.
1: Talk a little bit about your podcast uh, where we can find it and what do you guys talk about?
0: So um, our podcast is called Brain Candy and we wanted to you know sort of talk to that existing audience but We Like you said, I'm a total nerd. I want to talk about stuff that matters. So she and I get nerdy. We talk nerdy to you. And we talk about everything from the Kardashians to quantum physics and just have a laugh. And we have a book You know, the the
1: Kardashians don't know what quantum physics. They've never heard that term.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? But we have a great time because we feel like You know, pop culture can be discussed, but like, let's elevate it a little bit and talk about the impact. For example, you know, I think a lot about how the taste of the audience has changed over time and reality TV was a part of that where everything's really heightened and scandalous and dramatic and it had a real impact. That's how we got a president who was on reality TV and that he was able to connect to people for better or for worse. And I think that's a fascinating thing to look at and how the audience tastes have been informed by the stuff that they're consuming on television.
1: Okay. And where can they find your podcast?
0: So we're on Spotify and iHeartRadio, iTunes, of course, just any podcast platform. How long have you been doing it? We have been doing this for about four years now. So we're on just about 400 episodes and... We just keep having more stuff to talk about.
1: That's great. You know
0: that feeling, right?
1: I do. I do. (laughs) So final question. Are you still recognized?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not. Sometimes it's my squeaky voice that's the giveaway. Um, But yeah, we are. And it's so strange because like I said, they often don't know where they know me from. They think maybe we went to college together or high school. There's just a familiarity there. And that's kind of nice because it's more about us connecting rather than, you know, even a character or a show. It's about, you know, connecting with the audience. So it's not as much as it used to be, of course, because I've been off the air for a while. But, yeah, if they watch, they usually know.
1: Do you still get offers to go on other reality shows?
0: not really i kind of try to lay back and if i ever did one again it would have to be something that i created so that i can be in control i don't like being at the mercy of those producers you guys are you know cuckoo crazy
1: (laughs) well well, yeah yeah they are (laughs) i'm not i'm perfectly sane (laughs) i'm perfectly sane yeah they would they would tell me uh okay Um, jump off this crane and I'd go, not a chance.
0: Wait a minute. If you were on a reality show, what would your kind of character be?
1: I would probably be the funny guy. Yeah. You know, I would be the one that would hope to make America laugh. Uh, I was on the dating game when I was 16. Yes, I was on the dating game. And uh, all I cared about was being funny and making the audience laugh because I figured who cares if I actually get this date or not but (laughs) uh, I I want to be liked by the millions of people who are watching the show I don't care about the girl so yeah I was funny on the dating game and I lost
0: oh my god (laughs) I lost twice yes yeah where is this footage? Do you have it? I
1: know. I don't, and I'm told that there is this warehouse somewhere in New Jersey or Pennsylvania no. somewhere that has all of these random tapes. It's kind of like the last scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> you know, and that none of them are cataloged. It's just thousands and thousands of reels and Probably my stuff, my appearances are somewhere in those reels. And at one time, I tried to see if I could access it. And I said, you know, I would even pay somebody to like go through and look at dates and stuff like that. And no one was interested. And they said, it's just too much. It's just Ah. a needle in the haystack. But yeah, they're probably there somewhere.
0: Oh my gosh! Well, maybe you're better off because let me tell you, I have all mine, and sometimes I wish I didn't.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I have uh, disc jockey shows that I I did that That's I'm better. so glad that uh, I, I I just I live in mortal fear. That somebody out there <laughs> made a tape of me on WDRQ Detroit and will post it <laughs> <laughs> somewhere oh. because I have no say in that, right? You know, they just want to post it on their website and there it is, and I, I will be completely humiliated. So, oh my God. Uh, yeah, yeah, I live in fear. <laughs>
0: So like a time capsule. That's crazy. Wow.
1: <laughs> well, Susie, this has been great. Thank you so much. Also, if the name Susie Meister sounds familiar to my podcast listeners, it's because <laughs> Susie and her husband, Adam, are the the two people who basically uh how do how do i put this uh Harass you're my you. yeah hara- you're my rabbis okay <laughs> <laughs> you're you're my rabbis it's what it's your company that hosts my podcast and you guys have been just so great it's been such a great experience and uh, it's nice to have a chance so thank you
0: Thank you so much. What an honor. You know that I worship you and all your talent. So please keep doing it. We can't let the reality people take over the world.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) You had a great line about reality stars. Famous for nothing.
0: (laughs) Sad but true.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Susie.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Ken.
1: And that will do it for this edition of Hollywood and Levine. I thank Susie Meister enough, but I'm going to thank her husband, Adam Butler, also Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, and Bruce and Jason Miller. You can follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine. You can follow me on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. You can also email me, HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. That's HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. You know, I want to do a, an episode where I answer a lot of your questions, so it's kind of like Friday questions on my blog, but I want to make it exclusive to the podcast. So if you have a question related to the industry or my career or dating advice, whatever it is, uh, email it to me at HollywoodLevine at outlook and please leave your name. Okay. Uh, let's see what else subscribe, uh, give me a five star review, write a review, all that other stuff. We will see you again next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.
0: Hollywood and the